Aloha, I'm Bob Ortega with Honolulu Civil Beat, and this is Hawaii Storytellers. Bo Ewan kicked off our most recent Storytellers Night, titled Should I Stay or Should I Go? True stories about making big decisions and living with the consequences, good, bad, and unexpected. Bo, a former school teacher, lived on Maui, left it, and came back to Oahu. And as he'll explain, he has faced the same overwhelming challenge as almost everyone has who moves to Honolulu. How on earth can I afford to live here? Should I stay or should I go? This is a question that probably every teacher in Hawaii asks themselves at some point or another, given the high cost of living and our low salaries. So this story begins with a shaka. The year is 2005, and I just graduated college with a degree in English literature from this small school on the East Coast. Now, being a lifelong surfer, the only thing that I really wanted to do was to find a way to live and work in Hawaii. And so I applied for every teaching position that I can possibly find. And I eventually got an interview at this small school on Maui. I'll never forget flying out for the interview. And I'm in my rental car, and I'm coming down Front Street, and I slow down to let this little old lady cross the road. And she's sort of hobbling across the road with this nine-foot, ten-foot longboard, and still manages to throw me a shaka. And I just thought, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen, ever. I was once in a similar situation in South Florida, and I remember I was crossing the road, and this gentleman slowed down to let me cross, and I threw him a shaka, like, thank you, sir, you know? And this sort of look of confusion and then anger came across his face, and he gave me the middle finger. Like, kind of like, same to you, buddy, right? Um, so the point of that is it's, it's not as universal as we would think. But so I, I took this job teaching fifth grade, and as soon as I did, I very quickly found out that studying Shakespeare and Faulkner and Hemingway did very little to prepare me for tying sh tiny shoelaces and putting on Band-Aids breaking up fights at recess with kids who were remarkably bigger and stronger than me, even though they were only 10 years old. Um, but I fell in love with it. Uh, you know, in, in education, we praise diversity, and rightfully so. There's something very beautiful about being in a classroom and teaching kids who are Chinese and Filipino, Native Hawaiian, Tongan, Samoan, um, et cetera, et cetera, transplants from the mainland like myself. I even built a surfboard rack in the back of my classroom, and a lot of my students were surfers. They'd bring their surfboards, and at the end of the day, we would all walk down to Lahaina Harbor and surf together. I had some time, I'd do some writing for various surfing magazines, and it kind of sounded like this really like idyllic, paradisical life when we look at it through rose-colored lens. The reality is that there were a lot of hardships that went along with this life. For example, the rental market. You know, it was really difficult in Maui. I, I literally lived in a garage, and I don't mean like the arts at Mark's garage. I mean it was like <laughs> basic human survival at my garage. Um, it had like these faux granite countertops and these cabinets, and it had a lot of weird roommates with it, like cockroaches and mice and you know centipedes the size of like pythons. They're massive. Um, to be honest, I had worse roommates in the past. Uh, these roommates were creepy, but at least they were quiet. So we learned to live with one another. We were, we were Ohana, you know. Now, there were a lot of other difficulties too, like every teacher in Hawaii knows, everybody in this income bracket knows that buying vegetables here 
is like a serious, serious investment. It's, it's a lot like buying a used car. Um, you never really know what you're going to get. You have limited funds. So you just got to, you know, you got to try. Um, you can sort of see these people in the grocery store, right? They do their research. They look like they're buying a used car. And they ask a lot of questions, right? How come no one's bought this onion yet? Or um, how much of a discount am I going to get for all the dents in this tomato? Um, how much mileage am I really going to get out of this carrot, right? And then what happens is you take your vegetables up to the cash register, and you know, they ring you up, and this ridiculously long number comes up. And then the debit card terminal actually has the audacity to ask you, is this okay, yes or no? And you're like, hell no, no, it's not okay to pay that much for vegetables, no, not at all. But you haven't had vegetables in like a month, right? And, and so you click yes, right? And then you go home that night and you eat your three small spoiling dented vegetables. Now when you're a teacher, to add insult to injury, the next day when your students leave your presence and they go to their lunch class, or excuse me, their lunch um, recess, you remind them about the importance of eating vegetables every single day, right? And there's these other things that are really weird too, like social media. You post, you know, you're watching your friends post these things back on the mainland, they're buying houses, they're posting pictures of these big dinners that they're eating, you know, and you're sort of salivating over it. And you don't post pictures of like your empty refrigerator, right? You post pictures of like beautiful beaches and hikes that you've gone on and things like this. And so this comment battle kind of happens and they're like, my God, that beach is so beautiful. Or that mountain, it's so green. Your life is so awesome. I want that life. I want to be you. And you comment back and you're like, thank you. Please send food, right? <laughs> um, you know, so it's sort of like this really, really awkward thing that goes on. The reality is not every teacher can deal with, with these hardships. There was a gentleman I worked with early in my career, and he had just had it. He said, I, I don't want to do it anymore. And so he took a job for Starwood Resorts selling timeshares. And I remember running into him a few days, uh, just only a few days after he left. And he had told me that he had made more money in one day than I would in two months. And I, I just, you know, stop and think about that. Selling timeshares, you make more money. And you can make more money in one day than a teacher would in two months. And it just sort of shocked me. And he started kind of to recruit me, right? He said, you know, you have a good personality. You could be a good salesman. You should sort of come to Starwood. And I went the next day, and I looked at all my students, and I looked at their faces. And I thought, there's no way I could ever leave this, right? I felt like I was really important to this little island community, even if that sometimes meant, ironically, that it would be difficult for me to meet my most basic needs. Now, some years later, after the housing bubble burst and the global financial crisis ensued, I saw the same gentleman looking pretty distraught at a bar. And he had told me that he had lost his job, that he had foreclosed on his condo, that his uh, big truck that he had, they had repossessed it, and that he couldn't find a job anywhere on the islands. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, you're so lucky, you get to stay. And it, I sort of went back home to that, that night to my creepy, quiet roommates and, you know, had sort of a celebration of sorts, feeling like I did have a lot of options. It was pretty good. Eventually, I would leave Hawaii to go back to graduate school to pursue this dream of one day becoming a professor. Now, when I was in graduate school, I sort of had this idea that if I could ever get a tenure track job, maybe I would buy like a nice but modest sports car. What happened was I eventually did find that job, but it was here in Hawaii. So today I drive a moped. Um, 
a used one with lots of duct tape. I sort of think of it like my convertible, though. So it works. It works. Now, at the beginning of every semester, I often ask my students about what their career goals are. That's what we're there for. And none of them ever tell me, you know what? I want to be a teacher, ever. I never, ever hear that. And I think the reason is because I found that in this country, teaching is really one of the most vilified professions there is. It's a job that requires an increasing amount of expensive higher education for low salaries and less and less job security. But at least for me, if it's, I found that if it's really in your heart and it's something that you're really called to do, I know that I would much rather do it in a place where people throw you shakas instead of the middle finger. <laughs> Thank you all so much. For more stories from our Hawaii Storytellers events, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and visit our site at civilbeat.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter.